Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever wondered what it's like to bite into nerds' gummy clusters? They're fruity. They're tangy. They're gummy. And they're crunchy. Nerds Gummy Clusters, a union of fruity sweet gummy and tangy crunchy nerds. Unleash your senses. Shop now at nerdscandy.com. The problem is that, you know, it's space and there's a lot of stuff flying around so oftentimes you get like you know incredible noise and a lot of the noise you know it's not doesn't really have this frequency that we're looking for and this really messes with algorithms so this is where the human eye really helps you're listening to the science focus podcast from the bbc focus magazine team we're the uk's best-selling science and technology monthly available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Jason Goodyear, Commissioning Editor of BBC Focus magazine. Currently, astronomers are looking for exoplanets circling neighbouring suns. But instead of pointing our telescopes to the sky, we're entering the world of EVE Online, a massively multiplayer online spacefaring game. Science Focus editor Alexander McNamara speaks to Berger Finborgerson. Berger is the development manager for Project Discovery, which taps into this fast gaming community to gather data. He explains what makes gamers so good at searching for exoplanets and how soon it will be before we discover a new planet using computer games. Would you be able to tell me who you are and what your role is and what it is that you, you're doing with Project Discovery? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is uh, Berger. People call me Berger because that's easy, I guess. Uh, and I'm a development manager here at CCB Games in Reykjavik. Um, I mainly work on, on uh, an MMO called uh, EVE Online, MMO being massively multiplayer online game. Um, and Eve is, yeah, I mean, it's Eve is a space MMO. Um, came out in 2003, so returning 15 this year. Um, and a couple of years ago, we, or three years ago, we got in contact with uh, a Swiss company called MMOS, 
um, and they had this idea or this hypothesis that they could actually like you know take citizen science and 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 you know if they implemented it with uh, MMOs and gaming they could actually you know start to see real significant impact in in science and citizen science so two years ago we actually implemented the first version of product discovery um, where we work with the human protein atlas in uh, Stockholm Sweden um, the idea there was to to help uh, HPA or human protein atlas to categorize uh, their subcellular subcellular uh, protein atlas um, so we basically had uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of microscopic images um, that our players would categorize down to like, you know, the proper categories. There were around 23, four categories. Um, and the idea around this is that uh, these problems are problems that are just a wee bit too difficult for computers to solve. And they need kind of human insight to really, you know, crack the, crack the code. So that was the, the the project you'd done before. Um, so yeah. what what is the what is the next one now that you're doing? Yeah. So we um, so the first version of Project Discovery ran for a year, um, and we got that, got really good data and incredible incredible uh, results from it. Um, and so a year ago, we actually launched uh, the second iteration of Project Discovery called Project Discovery Exoplanets, or we codename in that. And we're working with the University of Geneva on that project. Um, and th- that project is all about searching for exoplanets or planets orbiting all the stars, um, you know, that we see in the sky. And that, I mean, that's definitely like the ultimate science project. We wanted to get into the game. It like fits really nicely into the theme of the game and, and kind of the lore of the game. But we wanted to make sure that like, you know, we wanted to take a different project first to really kind of harden our hypothesis, our game design, our tech. So once we got this, you know, the dream project in, you know, it would all be like super smooth and and or super smoother <laughs> and and good. So how is it that these the the people who are playing uh, Eve Online? How is it that they are able to help you discover exoplanets that are that are out there in the solar system? Uh, not the solar system, obviously the <laughs> the wider galaxy. Yeah. So actually, what we did is um, project discovery is 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 basically a mini game within e line and you can launch it uh, you know wherever in space um and for the exoplanet project what you're actually you you fire it up this this system and it has like a, a really strong in-game connection so it, you know it's it's tightened with the law and 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 kind of you know the progression of the game and what you're presented with is are these light curves so they kind of look like you know very spiky graphs and what you're looking at looking for are uh transits so these light curves are a series of of uh, uh observations of this of uh distant stars and every time something passes that star you get a uh, you basically get a transit you get a dip in the light curve so what the players are looking for are these dips in the light curve um and if they find them on on regular intervals you can you know with some certainty certainty say like hey you know is there a plant there is there, there is something there blocking the light so that's basically what the players are doing but the problem is that you know it's space and there's a lot of stuff flying around so oftentimes you get like you know incredible noise and a lot of the noise you know it's not doesn't really have this frequency that we're looking for and this really messes with you know algorithms 
So this is where where uh, the human eye, you know, really helps. So so why is it that, that so when you say the human eye is better, I say what is it that makes the human eye better at, at recognizing these patterns than than artificial intelligence or machine learning? Well, uh, humans are really good at at um, pattern matching, and you know we are we really long for patterns in in all things. I think it's just I mean it's it's something that's just so ingrained in our in our being, I guess. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's my hypothesis. <laughs> and is it, is it yeah, some... now you're gonna yeah, now you're gonna fact check me and it's all like wrong and oh no. <laughs> um I'm I'm sure it's fine. But do do you know is there something about the uh Eve community that makes them particularly good at spotting these um uh, uh these differences in in patterns? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean the Eve community is a is a very dedicated community and uh, I mean I would say that they are uh, I mean, it's a it, it's it's a bunch of super smart players and incredibly intelligent players. So, I mean, that's definitely one of the learnings from the first uh, version of product discovery. I mean, we we were quite scared in the first product discovery that it would be too complex or too convoluted, too awkward, um, and we set ourselves, you know, um, some rules when we when we pick projects or when we pick projects for for product discovery. Um, and one of the things that that we added to these rules actually after the first one is that uh, the project that we, the, we pick needs to fulfill a certain level of complexity. We don't want to, you know, undermine players' cap- capabilities or like, you know, simplify it and, and kind of dumb it down. So we need to maintain like a certain certain level of complexity. So yeah, in theory, yeah, maybe they are they are probably smarter than, than the average human being. They're definitely smarter than me. So <laughs> <laughs> Eve, Eve itself is a uh, set in space. So, do mm-hmm. you think that that gives the, the the players already the sense that they want to be looking for uh, things in space and other planets and all that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this. I mean, we make we make a space game, and most of us are you know complete space nutters, and you know working with exoplanets just you know emphasizes that. So so it definitely like. You know, tickles our nerd. Um and and when we're excited, that's a good indication that our player base would be excited. Do you think um, that when uh, when when a player just sees one of these sort of dips, that they can say, "Hey, I found an exoplanet." Uh, can you then go and say, "We found an exoplanet," or what happens with that data after that? Mm. So actually, uh, exoplanets are super, super, super rare. Um, so what we do is, it's it's really hard. You know, in when you're crowdsourcing kind of the science data, you need ways to measure people's accuracy and people's efficiency in doing it. So every you know third to every tenth uh, image or or curve that the player gets is actually a you know is a solved curve, is a controlled data that you get, and we use this controlled data to to measure people's uh, accuracy and success. So in the control data or the gold standard data, we have you know a, a relatively high amount of light curves showing up to basically you know help players recognize these light curves and also just you know it, it's it's more exciting to find something rather than rather than you know just find nothing and this is one of the big design challenges for the second iteration of product discovery is like how do you make a fun game about finding nothing like. In a way, like, uh, what, what, what's the fun in saying, like, nothing here, no transit? So 
it was an interesting exercise. But on um, so once we uh, once we find something, we've actually you know we are we have found some promising light curves. Uh, we basically these light curves get packaged up and sent to University of Geneva for further analysis, and that's basically what's happening right now is that they have a good bulk of light curves that they you know they need to look further into before they can confirm or deny that there's a exoplanet there and uh, we're actually getting like the feedback we're getting from University of Geneva is that we're actually finding stuff that they hadn't noticed before and you know players are marking in you know strange things that that they hadn't noticed or they hadn't paid attention to so there is actually a, a lot of good feedback they're getting a lot of good feedback from from our community. So how long will it be before we can say there's been a new exoplanet discovered out there and that was uh, discovered thanks to the EVE Online community? Oh, I hope it's, I hope it's going to be very soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm super excited. Like, I've, I've been waiting since the game came out for that, for that news. <laughs> and where, do, you, <laughs> you know, do you expect it to be soon or do we have to wait a few more years for this sort of thing? Well, I hope it's going to be soon. Um, like up to like today, like from from when we started until today, we've actually had sixty five point seven million submissions. Um, so sixty five point seven million light curves have been examined. Um, for the light curve to actually reach consensus, you need you know between five and seven um, similar. Uh, submissions or submissions in within certain range mm-hmm. of the same on the same light curve. Um, I mean, we have we have close to half a million players that have participated in this version of of uh, proto discovery. So, yeah, I mean, we've definitely we've <laughs> definitely submitted a lot of data. So I hope we'll get you know get to see something soon. But then again, it's it's very very rare to find exoplanets, and <laughs> it's super exciting. Do you think that the exoplanet that it will is eventually discovered might get sort of thrown back into the Eve Online universe, or even the other way that Eve players get things named after them out there? <laughs> yeah, so we're actually working with. Um, so we like one of the rules that we we set ourselves when we're picking data is that it needs to be like thematically fitting for the game. So we think immersion is a critical factor when it comes to like getting people excited and engaged with this uh, project. So what we did in the, in the previous project and this project again is that we got one of, the, one of the professors, one of the leads of the projects in real life, and we emulated them in-game and we actually created the in-game character. So we took, um, we took uh, a Swiss uh, astrophysicist called uh, Michel Mayor, who is, who is kind of heading this project, and, and, uh, and we actually made the in-game version of him so he's this kind of big professor for one of the big uh, corporations in eve um and he's basically kind of championing the the project within the game and and kind of he he's kind of the backbone of the lore in the game uh we got michelle mayer to come to speak at fanfest last year and this was one of the questions our players brought up and uh he had a very good scientific reasoning why we should not name planets, um, you know, unique names because, you know, they have this super good, efficient system to name them. So everyone just knows right away what what planet you're talking about. Um, but I mean, the other way around, I, we should definitely look at that. You know, <laughs> find some cool planets. We should we should definitely look at at uh, creating some interesting connections in in our universe. <laughs> <laughs> and and for these players, so obviously, you know, 
it, it may go back in. But what about what do the players get out of themselves other than the the, the fact that they might have helped spot an exoplanet? Mm. Um, I mean, of course, like in the game, they get some in-game rewards. And what we found with the first project discovery, I mean, we could we could kind of categorize the players into uh, into three groups. So the reason why players play it into three groups, the first one being just you know they're just doing it for the reward. Um, second one being you know we're doing it for science and that was actually a really you know good chunk of players that are playing this for science and you know contributing to science and then the third one is just you know i want to be the best at this i want to be the number one player i want to be the greatest it doesn't matter how many hours they need to put in like i want to i want to be the greatest at product discovery i want to nerd out on the forums telling people that i'm like beyond them in in spotting exoplanets and you know (laughs) So the, the, you know, the hardcore gamers, that one. The hardcore gamers, yeah. Um, I can understand with the, the people who are really into the science, it's like those are the ones mm-hmm. who are going to be really pouring over it. But how do you sort of cut out that noisy data, which might be people just going through for in-game rewards or just wanting to get to the top of the pile? Yeah, so we do that with... Uh, we calculate players' accuracy, and the the higher the accuracy, the uh, fewer gold standard... Um, image uh, like uh, data you get or kind of the less controlled data you get so we actually we actually we use the accuracy a lot there um so once you hit below around 50 percent, you stop getting actual data you only get gold standard data um and once you go below i think it's 40 percent. so you stop receiving awards altogether <laughs> uh, rewards altogether so we basically just kind of slowly you know either push you out or no, reinforce that you should like you know get your act together and and you know up your accuracy um you start uh, when you start a game you you basically run like a tutorial and in that tutorial we can we can fairly quickly determine how efficient you're in the game and you know if you are you know if you're actually going to graduate to real data or if you're just going to kind of you know kind of float out and 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 uh, leave the game so that's one of the things, that's basically one of the levers that we've had to play with through the projects to really figure out where is the best, what's the best moment to actually let people into real data. And did you find that as as the, the more people worked on this data, they got better and uh, were more accurate? Um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, yes, definitely. We have, I mean, our community is super engaged and we have, I mean, they're very active on, on you know, reddit you know media like reddit and so on and so forth so there is a lot of knowledge here going on and we saw um in the first project discovery we actually had one of the in-game uh universities called eve university which is completely run by players they actually hosted a couple of seminars on uh on protein um on protein uh analysis and you know it was really popular with players and and you know players were actually reading up on on science papers from HPA and so this time around what we did is we actually uh, worked with the University of Geneva um, to make a MOOC or like a, a, a online course um, on exoplanets and exoplanet find and and they've seen a you know a healthy uptick in in those courses and you know kind of alongside project discovery coming online so that's that's a really interesting. An exciting thing. So, in theory, like as players are kind of going deeper, they are also, you know, looking online. They're googling stuff. They're going to these courses, reading papers. So they're becoming better and better. And 
you know, some of the arguments and comments and feedback that I'm getting uh, from Project Discovery now, like, I mean, some of it I don't understand because they're just way too deep in the science <laughs> of things. <laughs> With there's, So there's clearly a, an engaged audience for science. This sort of citizen science project, is this going to, are we going to see more of this in the future, especially built into to games like uh, EVE or other games that are out there? I definitely, I definitely hope so. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, as a joke, we, after we wrapped up, uh, the human protein atlas, uh, work, we actually calculated around 146, uh, man years worth of work that our players contributed with their analysis. Um, so you can definitely see like, yeah, okay. Scientists might do it quicker, but yada, yada, yada. But the thing is like, you know, if we are, if we can actually free up scientists time to to you know focus more on the results and and you know analyzing the data versus just categorizing and and doing you know this kind of more kind of ground level stuff i mean i i i think that's the way going forward and i i hope that that will actually like allow people to to unleash their powers in in their science powers so, so how do you like as a when you're coming up to a project how do you decide which project it's going to be so for you know, for example, you you say you've done the proteins, you've done exoplanets. Now, where, where's next? Yeah. So we basically set ourselves some rules when we um, started working on this, and the first one being that uh, whatever project we pick for project discovery or whatever data we pick for project discovery, it uh, it needs to be of altruistic nature. So, you know, yes to figuring out to, how to you know cure cancer, no to looking for you know viable. Uh, targets of war or whatever. Um, the second rule being uh, it needs to be thematically fitting for the game. We think immersion is a critical factor in you know in getting people immersed. And this is this is one of the hypotheses that MMOS had coming into approaching us. Um, they were looking at you know they were looking at all the citizen science projects out there, and one of the biggest issues they were facing was extremely low retention. So you had a lot of you know, people come in, but they would disappear as quickly as they would come in. Um, and MMOs, no, MMOs, you know, multi- massively multiplayer online games. I mean, we have kind of, to a point, we've actually solved this issue or we are further further down the line of, of solving this issue. So merging the two, you know, can we actually, can citizen science uh, kind of benefit, benefit from the successes of MMOs? And we're actually, you know, we're actually proving that, that that's definitely the case. But we look at the immersion as a critical factor in there. Um, so the data sets also need, need to be of critical scale or critical size. Um, our players are super eager to take on challenges and they actually they run through huge data sets really quickly. Uh, with the protein uh, data set, there was around 250,000 images and we managed to reach consensus, a full consensus on the whole data set uh, within three weeks so and we had kind of you know we were thinking it would take around three months but it just really took off and and left us in a tough spot (laughs) (laughs) um the fourth rule is uh the the data needs a consistent time to solve so we want to make a clear promise to our players when they open the open the game you know we we need to be able to promise them that this will be a 20 second a one minute or a five minute thing like it can't be like one moment it's ten seconds, and the next moment it's it's ten minutes because then you know it's it's it becomes too much of a commitment uh, starting. Um, and then the last 
last rule that we were talking about earlier is that uh, the data needs to fulfill certain level of complexity. So we don't want to undermine our capis, uh, our players' capability, and we also don't want to undermine, you know, the game, the product, and the challenge that that we're trying to, you know, solve. So you, that's obviously the, the, the MMO. You've got this huge body of players that are in there. Um, yeah. Can the same sort of model be moved to just maybe single player games or games that are just not so massive, essentially? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, um, it, it's all about you know putting a mass of people on a complex project. So if if everyone just do just tiny bit, you know, with with mass, you actually get insane amount of data. Um, and I think this is this is definitely a model that can be applied to, you know, single player games. It can be can be applied to, I mean, it can be applied to Facebook. It could be applied to anywhere, basically, or anything. What's next with uh, this? What's going to be in ten years' time? What are we going to be doing with this this sort of data? Is it, are we going to be finding more than just exoplanets? How much? Uh, can we expect the project discovery to be really sort of discovering and helping our lives? So we definitely want to, I mean, we're right now we're working with data from the uh, Korot telescope um, and we are looking at other telescopes uh, as well um, and, you know, possibly data from further away. So we want to keep the, the exoplanet project going um, for a while um but i mean hopefully 10 years from now you know this will be actually doing citizen science should just be or crowdsource science you should just that should be all over the place that should be you know a thing that everyone does all the time or well, that's my hope at least and you know it should be a, it should be one of those just normal things you know when you're driving in your autonomous car and it's it's super boring you're just you know you're helping out solving the world's problems <laughs> you know one one tiny piece at a time that's Berger Finborgson talking about project discovery. You can find out more and start your own search for exoplanets by visiting eveonline.com forward slash discovery. In the April issue of BBC Focus magazine, we continue the search for exoplanets by taking a look at Project Blue. This audacious plan has a single goal in mind, to photograph an exoplanet in the habitable zones of the nearest sun-like stars in search of a potentially habitable planet. You can pick up a copy of the new magazine from the 4th of April, where inside you'll find the lowdown on Project Blue and much more, including real-life robocops, how freezing patients can save their lives and whether geoengineering could cause a climate war. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.